Well, we're back for our second week and looking at the grace of God. Actually, this is part two of still the first introduction to grace that we're talking about in the New Covenant. Uh, so when we say New Covenant, what word, this is pop quiz, ready, Josh? Yeah, maybe. What, what word comes to mind when we say New Covenant or what word are we wanting you to think about when we say New Covenant? Promise. That's a good one. That's the first word that popped in my head. That's a, Hey, I'll accept that. <laughs> <laughs> promise. That's awesome. Uh, it is absolutely a covenant of promise, and we, we're actually going to spend a lot of time looking at that. But there's a bigger, more umbrella word that I want everyone who's watching and you and me to always be thinking about when we think of the New Covenant, and that's grace. Just very simply, the New Covenant equals grace. All the time, every time. Um, the the Bible is just actually very, very simple when you see it like this. Um, grace is the point of Jesus coming, which we talked about last week. It was kind of the pinnacle of his, of his life and death and everything. And then now we're going to study it for, for how it's going to, how our life is going to revolve around the grace of God. So um, let's go to John chapter 1, uh, and we're going to read verse 14, we'll skip verse 15, and we'll read verse 16. Does that make sense? So yep. John chapter 1, verse 14 and 16. The Word becomes flesh. It's the little subtitle that's right above it. Yeah. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So let's pause real quick after we read verse 14. Who's this word guy? God. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Jesus. He's the only yeah. begotten of the Father, right? And what did it say right there? What is he full of? Grace. And? Uh, did I miss something? Full of grace and? Glory. No. Oh. Truth. Truth. There Damn. you go. <laughs> just reading through that again. It's just, just right did, there. Didn't yeah. comprehend it in my head, I guess. <laughs> That's what happens so many times when I read. I just like, you know, breeze through something. And what's amazing is when we slow down and really look at the words that are there, there can be such blessings in it. And this this is one of those things, right? Yeah. Just full. He's So Jesus is this guy named the Word. He's It's kind of a title for him is the Word. And he's, he's God's son, the only begotten of the Father. He represents the Father, and he's full of grace and truth. and truth. Full. That's an important word we'll look at in just a minute. And then look at verse 16. Read verse 16 for us. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Of his fullness. So of all the things that he's full of, he's going to be giving us out of that. Out of that, uh, he's gonna he's gonna be pouring out what he's full of. He's able to pour out into our lives, and here he says. And then it adds this little phrase: "and grace for grace." And in English, that's like, huh? What does that mean, right? But that's actually kind of a uh, an idiom that means grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It means 
a never-ending flow or supply of grace. So what we're seeing here as, a, as an introduction into studying God's grace is, number one, it all flows from Jesus. And number two, he is full of it. He has a never-ending supply of grace to supply us with. So he's overflowing with grace. And so we are getting more than an abundance. Right. He has more than enough for us. No matter what our need is, his grace is sufficient to handle it, to supply what we need. Um, it says he was full of grace and truth. When I look at that, I see that that means that um, he he knew the standard, the truth standard that a person should live to should be, and and uh, the 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 standard a human should live up to, and he was he was full of it. Like it wasn't even hard for him to be the perfect human because the Ten Commandments is really just a description of who Jesus is or what Jesus would do if he became a human being, which he did. So keeping the Ten Commandments was not like difficult. He's full of that truth, you know. And and you could also think of truth another way. He's he's absolutely got no lie in him. He, he cannot lie because he's full of truth. Everything he is, is true. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So let's think back to Moses. Okay? Because Moses uh, is famous for getting the, well, the Ten, Ten Commandments. Commandments. Yeah, exactly. Ten Commandments. Uh, jinx. Pinch poke, you owe me a coke. <laughs> so G Moses could not offer us grace or truth, really. He only offered like the standard that we should live up to. When you think of like, well, I live by Moses and the law and the Ten Commandments and I try to be a good person. Um, well, Moses, Moses can't give you that life that actually measures up to the Ten Commandments. He just says, here's the Ten Commandments. You know, the law says basically, do your best or die. Don't do your best. Be perfect or die, which we'll study that next week. But um, yeah, Moses only gives us the Ten Commandments and he can't give, or, give us grace. There, there's no grace in the Ten Commandments. Where does the Ten Commandments say, you know, if you fail, I will deliver you. Or, nowhere. Yeah, nowhere. <laughs> Absolutely. It's stone. But exactly. And we're going to look into all those. All of those things are incredibly important in how God brought the Ten Commandments in. Uh, it all points to the insufficiency of law and man and towards the sufficiency of Jesus to be our Savior, our Messiah, everything that we need. So, again, this verse says, of his fullness. Uh, that means he's the, the source of the resources. I mean, we started last week by talking about what is the whole, what is the, the power source of the Christian life, the whole kind of point of it. And uh, you're, you're a car guy. Mm -hmm. um, what was the first car you ever had? First car I ever had was a 1992 Ford Exploder. I mean, Explorer. Uh, Two-door. Had That's no right. transmission in it. 
So when, when this says that Jesus, out of his fullness, he supplies us with grace upon grace upon grace, grace for grace, it, it means that it's kind, he, his grace is like the engine to our car. So let me illustrate it like this. Imagine you get your 1992 Ford Explorer and you just got it and it's sitting in front of your driveway and you get all your friends together and you go out and you to start to, you know, introduce them to your car. Here's my car. I'm going to name, did you name your car? No. Okay. You didn't name your car, but you're so proud of it. You're so <laughs> excited. What color was it? I don't even remember. Khaki. Okay. Khaki colored car. So you're so <laughs> excited. You're showing all your friends, going around it. And then and then they're like, well, sh- show me what this can do, Josh. And so you get in the car uh, or they, you tell them to get in the car. You're still kind of just like walking around like, oh man, this is looking good. I love this new car I got. So proud, so excited. They all get in and they kind of watch you walk around the car. And then you walk to the back and you start pushing the car okay and you just start giving your absolute best effort towards pushing this car and your friends are like he's gone mad what is going on here so one of them gets out and they're like josh you know i'd like to what are you doing you're like i want to show you what this car can do i'm it's so beautiful but man it takes a lot of effort to to get this car moving and they're like hey let me show you something. So they take you around to the front of the car, they open the hood, and they show you this bright, shiny, amazing, powerful engine. And they teach you how this engine provides the power for this vehicle. Uh, and, and because of that, you were able to drive and get speeding tickets and all the things that you did. Yeah, super fun. <laughs> so Grace is like that engine. But so often, as Christians, when we don't understand God's grace, we are pushing our Christian life, like you did with your first car, in that made-up story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's kind of true, though, because I didn't have a transmission, so I had to push it. Sometimes. Originally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you can use that illustration, or you could use the illustration that it's like the gas for, for the car. It's like the gas that provides the, the combustion energy for the car to move. Um, this, is, this is what we're doing, is we're learning about the engine of, or how the Christian life actually works, the power behind it. He then mentions finally in our verse, grace Upon grace, we mentioned that that was that idiom, grace upon grace, so just a never-ending supply. But it's neat that he just mentions it twice, grace for grace, because there's going to be two big arenas of God's grace that we're going to always be looking at as we study here. And the first one is justification, and the second one is sanctification. I think that's why he mentions grace for grace, like he says the word twice, because there's these two big areas in our lives that we're going to experience grace. Justification means, and we're going to study this a lot later, but starting out a relationship with God. While sanctification is every moment in time after that moment that you start out with God is growing with God or continuing on with God. It's that process in our life of transformation. So we call that sanctification. So your justification, he says here, 
all by grace, 100% by grace, an overflowing work of Jesus' free gift of grace in your life. But also, the sanctification is. So if we're getting grace, this, mm-hmm. this is just popping in my head. So receiving grace for grace, because there's an overabundance coming to us, is that not a foreshadowing moment of what we are supposed to do in our own life and also offer grace to others to mirror our Father? Is that is that kind of what that was is meaning as well, or is that sure? I think that that's a great point and application that we can make. Once we become blessed by our Father, like once we learn how blessed we are by our Father then we are able to turn that around and, and show that type of grace and love, uh, offer forgiveness and help the way our Father has helped us, we are going to do that to others. In fact, we're commanded to do so. And Jesus says, what does he say about forgiveness? Forgive one another as well, I have forgiven you. Exactly. So he, how, how did he forgive us? By grace. Mm-hmm. It was a free gift did you do anything to earn your forgiveness? No. No, I didn't either. It was a free, wonderful gift. But a lot of times we, when we're offering forgiveness, we want people to be deserving. Like, well, I'm not going to forgive them until they fill in the blank. And that's, that's not the same way. Like we were offered free forgiveness. Right. And Jesus says, just, just do that. Yeah. So great point, great point. All right, let's go on to Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who, have, who are sanctified. That's right. Okay. So grace here is mentioned... This is when Paul has just finished kind of planting a church and he's going to be leaving and he's like, he's given them his final farewell and he's like, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which he says has an ability, a real, kind of like a magical ability, right? It's this ability, he says, it can give you it, two things. It can build you up and give you an inheritance. That's Amazing. Okay, so the well, let's do the second one first. Give you an inheritance. Uh, who gets an inheritance in a family? Children. Yeah, someone who is born into that family. Mm-hmm. Or, what's another way you can get the inheritance? By if it's given to you or written in a will. Okay. And which would kind of be a situation like adoption. Mm-hmm. So you either have to be born into the family or adopted into it, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of amazing how Jesus then says that by grace, we are born again into the family of God. And you could say adopted, mm-hmm. which both ways, you know. So it says here, grace is able to, the second one says, give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That means all those who are set apart uh, as God's people, God's children. Um, so we're born into this, right? But the first one, he says, the first ability of God's grace here is that which is able to build you up. What do you, what do you think that means? Kind of like uh, 
charging you up, giving you the ability to feel powerful, to feel motivated. Okay. So you're describing this almost like a transformation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that's what he means is the process of building somebody up in God's perspective is changing them or sanctifying them. Remember, we just learned in our last verse that there's these two big arenas of God's grace in our life. Mm -hmm. There's the justification. Well, that's being born again. That's getting an inheritance. And here he says the second one first, which is building us up or the process of sanctification or transforming us from someone who uh, just sins whenever and however we want to someone who honors our father with our decisions and the way that our life is 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 going so that's that's what being built up means and there does come a, come with it some feelings of like uh motive it's changing our motivation it's changing the way that we from our heart who we are what things make us excited in our heart what things drive our passion it actually ch- changes when we are born again, and then as we start spending time with Jesus and receiving his grace, continually feeding on it, who we are changes. And that's this process of being built up. So Paul thinks this is so important. He wants to make sure the last thing this church hears before he leaves is, guys, just focus on God's grace. Because it'll start your relationship with God. It'll continue your relationship with God. It's all you need. And it's interesting that what's absent is him saying, and make sure that you keep all the rules. Make sure that you never mess up. Make sure that those Ten Commandments are always, you know, followed in your life. Uh, Paul is actually shifting their attention away from that old covenant, the old way of doing things by here's a list of rules that make me a good person or not a good person. Here's a list of rules that make God happy or disappointed. He shifts their attention away from that towards grace. God and the word of his grace. Who's the word? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Remember, that was his name in John chapter 1. Right. That's why we tackled that verse first, and then we go to this one. Well, I was getting confused because I wanted to earn my Jesus points. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to think that one through real quick. Is Jesus the right answer here? <laughs> Jesus is always the right <laughs> answer, right? <laughs> you know, Paul, he's like, if, if your attention is on God and the word, Jesus, of his grace, I love that, then it's going to build you up and it's going to give you that inheritance. That's all that you need, he's going to say. And I believe that. And so as a church, and I believe all churches should be focused and committed to keeping our eyes on God, Jesus, who is God, but his son, his, you know, his savior for us, and the grace that he has, talks about. Because there's a lot that there is to study and to think about. In fact, I've been studying this over 20 years uh, daily, and it's like I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface of God's grace and experiencing God's grace even in my own life. Uh, and, but it's just so deep and life-giving, which we'll talk about later. All right, let's, uh, let's read Romans 6.14. We're still in the introduction of grace, just kind of 
wetting our appetite for all the different things that we're going to be studying about God's grace and how deep it is and how glorious it is. This one is a big one, Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Man, when I talk to Christians, and I, I do, you know, some counseling as a pastor, I do some, you know, helping, and I tell you the most common thing that people want help with is what I would call life-dominating sins, or just they feel like they're, they're sinning, and they don't know what to do about it. It's almost like they've tried as hard as they can to stop sinning, and they they feel like giving up. They, they feel like I, I I am not good enough to do this. I just can't do it. So what do I do? And that's where this verse comes in, and that's where God's grace comes in. Grace, it says here, is the only solution for life dominating sin, which is in fact all sin. You know, sin just has a way of like a disease starting out small and then if you let it go long enough the cancer spreads into your entire body destroying the life that God had intended for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so grace it says is the only solution. It says your gr- sin shall not have dominion over you. Life dominating sins cannot exist in the same life that God's grace is abounding in. For you are not under the law but under grace. That means freedom is found only in grace, not in the law. And let me tell you how I see this played out a lot of times. Someone maybe comes in with an addiction, uh, any addiction, but a common one is alcohol uh, or, you know, drugs or whatever, substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And they'll sometimes get the advice from a well-meaning person sometimes even a Christian, hey, what you need is more boundaries, more, what that really is saying, you need more rules, you need more law in your life. If you had more law, you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing. Okay? But, man, the Bible is so incredibly clear that freedom from sin does not come from the law. Rules. It does not come from rules. So if you're adding rules on top of someone who's sinning, you're literally just burying them deeper in the pit that they're in. You're doing nothing to help them. You don't think they know what they're doing is wrong? I think for the most part, people are very aware of their sin and the wrongness, the badness of their sin. And adding law on top of that does not create righteousness. In fact, we'll read another verse that says, if, if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. The Bible is so clear about this. Freedom does not come by rules. So why do you think, this is, I'm going to let you answer this question, why do you think so many churches simply add a lot of rules when either people are struggling with sin or just to protect people from sin? Why do you think rules and what we would call legalism is so rampant in the world, in the church? Control because they don't understand grace themselves? I think you hit the nail on the head. 
I think grace is so misunderstood. And I, I think that the way grace works is you have to trust God. Implicitly. That's the way grace works. And I think a lot of people, including pastors and churches, actually have an incredibly difficult time trusting God. And I think a lot of us would rather do my absolute best in everything I can do, and let me try this rule and that effort and this work before we finally are absolutely broken and convinced that we have no hope except for the grace of God. That I think that's why it's happening. They don't understand that it's a free gift. They don't understand that it's promised. That word that is connecting with your mind with the new covenant, I think that's a, a key understanding to, to grace is that it's a, a covenant of promise. Freedom is found in the grace of Jesus alone. So if someone comes to me with any sin, whether it's they're needing forgiveness or they want to have victory over that sin, I am always going to point them in the direction of the sufficiency of Jesus. And some people hate that. Some people do not want... Give me law! Yeah, some people don't want that. Some people <laughs> Show me a rule. think that I am just too simplistic. Oh, this problem, it, Jesus is not the answer for this problem. Oh, you can give people, the, you know, Jesus the answer for forgiveness, but to actually, you know, get someone through abuse or get someone through this problem or that problem, they need, you know counseling. They need this, that, they need the other. They set more boundaries. They need these rules. They need these things. And and I just don't see that in Scripture. I mean, there's counseling in Scripture, but God declares that He wants to be our counselor. He wants to be the one that gives us the help that we need. And He's given all that we need through Jesus. And He is sufficient. And, and things like this help us. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It's not going to happen. For you are not under the law, but under grace. I love this type of promise because it's saying that it's not law, it's not efforts. So that's that's what people, you know, if, if they are kind of into law, then they're always trying really, really hard. Efforts is a big key word, try. I hear Christians say that all the time, and I am guilty of it too. And what that generally, I mean, I'm talking 99% of the time, when I say the word try, I am saying self-sufficiency. It's, it's about me. It's about me putting in something to make my relationship with God or my performance better or work. When God says, You're, that's law. And that's not how grace works. There's no trying in grace. So I'm going to establish the principle as we go through this. Trying is a bad word. It's like a four-letter word, even though it only has three letters. We'll call it a four-letter word for New Covenant Christians. And almost like Yoda was right. You know, do or do not. There is no try, right? It's the only thing I think about now whenever somebody says try. Yep. So... You know, this verse tells us that it's not law that brings us freedom. It's not trying that brings us freedom. Because a lot of people are like, I'm trying my best. And I can come alongside them and say, that's okay, except that's never going to bring you freedom. It doesn't matter how hard you try. Well then, well, then, what do I do? 
And I say, that's the wrong question. We need to ask, what did Jesus do? And Mm. that's where freedom is going to be found and experienced in my life today. Has zero to do with what I do and a thousand percent, hundred percent to do with what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. And done for us. Yes. His resurrection life. So, so it's not law, it's not efforts, and it's not even desire. A lot of people think, man, if I just want it enough, doesn't God see how much I want to do what's right? Of course God does. He put that desire in you. That's the Holy Spirit in you, giving you that desire. You didn't come up with that desire to do what's right on your own. He, of course, knows how much you want it. But desire is not where victory comes from. Desire is not where freedom is found. Desire is just showing us, like, it's, it's what the urge coming from inside us. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. Practically. Which is a good thing, but not where victory comes from. Because what do we do with that desire? We're either going to try, again, going back to ourself and our fleshly efforts to get better, to do more, and then what happens, we're going to fail, and then we're going to give up, and we're going to be bitter and think, well, God, you saw how much I wanted it, and then I tried my best, and God's like, that's not the system. That's not the way this works. Yes, you want it, because I put that desire in you. Now, obey the new covenant, which is... Put your hope and trust in Jesus' grace, not in self. And that's where that line is drawn. So it's not law. It's not efforts. It's not desire even. It's not a formula or a, and it's definitely not a system of accountability. If I just had people watching me all the time, then I would do what's right. No, that's not how the new covenant works either. Uh, but the new covenant actually brings freedom by his grace, uh, which is pretty amazing. So let's end our, our time today with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 through 21? Yep. All right. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What an amazing verse. Uh, This is a praising, you know, Jesus verse for this incredible thing that he is and that he does. Uh, It says here that uh, to him who is able, so Jesus is able. Mm -hmm. This is talking about an ability that Jesus has. Nobody else has this ability. He is unique among all everything. Nobody else can do what he does. Uh, To do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Those words exceedingly abundantly above all. In Greek, it's like so repetitive. It's so forceful what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians here. He's like, there's no way possible that you could imagine how powerful Jesus is. It's a, you can't even 
imagine how powerful he is. That how much grace he has overflowing, like we said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. How, how much grace is inside of Jesus. You could ask, how big is Jesus? If Jesus was a cup, how big would it be? It's not, you can't put a size to it because it's too big. Right. Because It's abundant. Yeah. I mean, right. it's exceedingly abundantly. Exceedingly abundant. That, the, just those two words together is just, if you think about it, it's unreal. Infinite is a good word for it. He's infinite. And so his power being infinite, and and look at this, above all that we ask or think. See, he's always, Paul is always pointing us towards the right kind of relationship that God wants from us. And that begins with us asking. Never earning. See, what Paul's doing here is he's trying to motivate us to live by the new covenant, which is a covenant where we are asking continually and Jesus is giving. The new covenant is like this. We ask, Jesus gives. And it works. And then the next day, we ask and Jesus gives. The next moment, we ask and Jesus gives. That's what grace means. To ask... When your kids ask for food, it's dinner time. They're hungry. They are in need. They've famished from a big day of playing. <laughs> when they ask for that, do you question them on their how deserving they are of food? No. You don't? No, I don't question them on how deserving they are. There are some times when I'll be like, hey... We just ate 15 minutes ago. Why are we asking for food again? Um, but I never really question whether they're hungry or not. If they are hungry and they ask me, let's get some food. Absolutely. Might as well. Because the heart of a father is to provide for their children. And it doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. Uh, and that because and that's how grace works. Grace doesn't work based on if you deserve grace or not, because grace, by definition, is a free, undeserved gift that God promises He will always give if we ask for it. Now, to ask means we have to have something called humility, because the one thing that keeps us from asking is pride. You know, I I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to appear to be weak. I didn't want to appear to be needy. And those type of attitudes are just keep us from God's grace because they keep us from that humble asking. So that's why asking is super important. He says here, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, I could think a lot. I can think pretty big, and I feel like I can ask pretty big, but Paul says here, you're not even close. You don't even scratch the surface. You don't even scratch. No one is using God's grace the way that it could be. No one is asking for nearly enough. Jesus actually talked a lot about asking. He gave parables. He he gave teachings where he was like, guys, ask. Keep asking. Knock, seek, ask. Like, we're going to dig into those later, but 
it's amazing how much Jesus promised us would come back to us when we ask. Mm -hmm. And yet, what do we do? We let our pride get in the way most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Because we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then maybe our, our faith starts to grow a little bit and we start to maybe just believe that maybe God would respond to my prayers and pour out his grace. And then we run into challenges to that. Like maybe we have to wait. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times our response to that waiting is that our faith falters. Oh, well, God's not doing it. There you go. I knew it. Okay? That's why God says our faith has to be tested. So that it can be proven to be like gold, James says at the beginning of his letter. Um, so faith needs to be tested at all times, in all points. God is going to be constantly testing. And it's not so God can figure out whether our faith is genuine. He knows if our faith is genuine or not. God brings tests into our lives so that we can find out if we really truly believe that God is for us and God is going to answer our prayers or whether we are going to give up and we are going to stop trusting in the Lord. This doesn't mean you have to pray a thousand times. But it does mean that when you pray, it's going to be tested and there's going to be a time period where we wait for God's answer. And every once in a while, God does a really gracious miracle where you pray and the answer is already there. Right? And those are amazing. But I would say most of the time, as a good father, he is working in us and he's showing us constantly how much our prayer um, shows whether we really trust in the Lord or whether we're like, uh, I'll pray once, but it's really just a token and I'm just going to you know, give up. I really don't believe that he's... But when we keep that prayer going, that doesn't mean pray a thousand times, but just, yes, Lord, I still am praying this. I still believe. The next time it comes to your mind, yes, Lord, I still am praying this and I still believe you're going to send the answer. So above all that we have, and then it says, according to, so this, this exceedingly abundantly above all this ability that Jesus has of giving grace, it says it's according to the power that works in us. So he says there's this power that is working in us, and that power is grace. You know, you can give a name to it, the Holy Spirit. Grace and truth. Yep. So there's this power that is working in us. What's the source of that power? Is it you? <laughs> no. No, it's not. And it's not a force like the force either. It's not something you control. But the power is the, the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We can call it grace. It's a free gift from God. And it says, so because that power is so amazing, uh, it says, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This way of living where we are not trusting in ourselves, but we're trusting in this power mm -hmm. that 
is a living relationship with God through his grace, where we're asking and he's giving, asking and giving, where we're humbling ourselves and putting our trust in him, in God. The Bible, here it says that that way of living alone gives the most glory to God. It glorifies God. Because who gets the credit when you do something right? God. Yeah. God gets all the glory. When we know that I asked God for it and God gave it to me, mm-hmm. who, I mean, it eliminates that prideful uh, living. So let's, let's think for a moment. We've, we've wrapped up our verses for today. But what do you think some roadblocks to, and we've already kind of mentioned a few of them, but what do you think are some roadblocks to seeing um, this grace really take root in our life? Conflict with other people, conflict within your side of yourself. Okay. Thinking that you're not good enough to receive. Um, that feeling of ineptitude where you ask for something, but you don't really think that you're deserving of getting that, that thing. Yeah. That happens a lot in my life where I, I'll sit there and I ask God to, to humble me and to help me be a better father all the time. But then I, when I discipline my children, I feel like I don't deserve God's grace in understanding how I'm supposed to be disciplining my children sometimes because I I just get very frustrated and I get angry and I feel like I'm doing it in the wrong way. Um, Things like that, um, those are things that are roadblocks for me to understand the fullness of the grace that God gives me or provides for me. It's always thinking about what I'm able to do versus what uh, God's doing for me. And if that's the situation in your life, I'm sure that a lot of people who are watching this and listening to this would agree that, that we, we have a hard time uh, understanding how this works. And so our proposition here is that if we can learn how His grace works, uh, which is basically saying if we can learn the promises of Scripture— if we can learn what the Word of God says, what Jesus, who is the Word of God, what He promises to us, that that we're going to have this supernatural ability to trust in that Word more than we trust in the way that we think things work. In other words, we need to be transformed in the way that we think in all the ways that we think. Uh, we, we need it beat into us that grace does not work by merit. It, it just doesn't work that way. God gives grace to the most horrible, sinful people. And here's the big secret. We all are the most horrible, sinful people. Sinful people. And God delights in giving grace to sinners. And it kind of it comes to a head in Romans 
when when Paul explains how incredibly gracious God is, and then he kind of anticipates the question then, well, if God is so gracious that he, he just delights in pouring out grace, he loves giving me more grace, more forgiveness, and then giving me this power inside to honor him and live a life for his will, then... You know, does does sinning even matter anymore? Or does can I maybe if I just sin more, it gives God more glory because He gives more grace. <clears throat> that's a and Paul anticipates that question because that's basically what he's been saying is the more God forgives, the more glory God gets. And but then he he says actually that would be silly if we decided that well let's just sin more so that God can get more glory. I'm really just interested in God's glory here. That's why I'm getting smashed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, absolutely not. Because you forget that you're now joined with Christ. You have his mind, you have his heart, and you have his Holy Spirit. His life is now in you. And all those things, they'll never make you happy anymore. They will always be empty. It's like turns to ash in your mouth. Right? So... um, it's it's a it's a transformation of a whole way of looking at things, you know the new covenant. Mm-hmm. I think all of us by default we grew up, we wake up every day, old covenant thinking I need to earn it, I need to do my best, and we get embarrassed and frustrated when we fail. But if we can kind of shift over to how the new covenant teaches us, it's God's going to provide, God's going to give, God's going to help, and God loves us. And, and we can trust in that relationship. What do we do when we feel undeserving of receiving God's grace? Yeah. That's, I think, normal and good because it, it agrees with Scripture. Okay? The truth of the Bible is we are undeserving of God's grace. But the second truth of Scripture is that that doesn't stop him ever. From still giving it to Never us. one moment did that ever stop God from giving grace to one of his children. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall receive grace. It, there's, a, there's a psalm, and then it's repeated in the New Testament twice, uh, saying, those who put their trust in the Lord shall not be ashamed. When you trust something, it doesn't mean you deserve it. You're trusting right now that this chair holds you up. You have no idea where I got this chair. It's <laughs> a good point. Where'd you you have no chair? idea how <laughs> how structurally sound that chair is. And I have no idea how deserving you are to be held up. Maybe you don't even deserve to sit down in that chair. But that's not how it works. His grace works. It doesn't matter how deserving we are. Because before he pours out the sanctifying grace that helps us and transforms us, he pours out the justifying grace that that forgives us of all our sins. Mm. So if we can believe in that part, that God has forgiven us, then there is no more question of whether you're deserving or not. Because you have nothing on in that account saying that you're undeserving. When God looks at the ledger and, and looks at your life and says, Josh, 
do you, you know, let's look and see whether you deserve, if we were saying, if you deserve my help. There's nothing in the column that says no. There's absolutely nothing there. And then when he looks over the column that says this, he, he's, he looks and it says, Josh has put his trust in Jesus Christ. And so that column is filled with the life of Jesus and all the sufficiency and all the good works that Jesus ever did attributed to your account. And that's the truth of the new covenant. That's the truth that the Bible lays out for who we are as adopted and born again children of God. But we struggle to believe it. And I think it's for two reasons. Number one, I think we struggle to believe it because we honestly just don't know. A lot of Christians just don't know what Jesus has done for them. So we got to help them with that through discipleship, through helping them understand what Jesus has done. And then the second thing is that we just are prideful. And so we don't want to believe that part. Mm -hmm. Our flesh recoils against the idea that we have nothing good to offer. But that's the truth. We have nothing good to offer. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. <laughs> good. Good. Any other questions? Not yet. I'm sure they'll come. Awesome. Well, let's wrap it up then. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you that you um, are glorified as we put our trust in your sufficiency alone. I want to thank you that you are full of grace and truth. God, that when you give us a plan for our uh, forgiveness and for our sanctification, God, that it's, it's trustworthy and you stand behind it and you give and supply every single thing that we need. Jesus, our, our eyes are now on you exclusively. We know that you provide all that we will ever need uh, freely and joyfully uh, and you receive glory as you help us, your children, and pour out your grace upon us. Amen. Amen.